going to be good. This is going to be a good time. You're attentive. You're ready to go. Well, it is great to be back together. Uh, just as, And we're going to continue on in our sermon series on the last things. And uh, I don't know if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, but Mark is, take, Mark is taking us through a couple of subjects that have been kind of heavy, but have been so good and challenging. Judgment and death. And I, I don't know about you, but I've come away challenged, but encouraged. If you've not heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen to those two messages because uh, they were super powerful. Oh, this morning we are uh, we're talking about heaven, and I have to warn you that uh, we have a lot of content to cover. And I was joking with Dina. She was laughing. Uh, she was like, you know, you should do like you do with your podcast. I like listen to podcasts if I'm driving, if I'm walking, if I'm, you know, just, I listen on 1.5 speed because I can consume more content. She said, you know, just switch it up to 1.5 speed, but I don't think that'd be the most helpful for, for you and your sake because we have a lot to cover. So as we think about heaven, as people, humanity, we're pretty confused when it comes to this idea of heaven. Uh, in Western society, we refer to heaven in the most casual way in conversation all the time. Uh, we refer to it in a whole lot of different ways, a whole host of ways. Our media, our television, our films, they, they all seem to portray heaven in different ways, emphasizing different things. I remember as a child watching cartoons on television and seeing uh, a, a character on a cartoon meet a, a comedic, humorous demise only to find themselves floating on a cloud, plucking a harp, wearing a halo. And I, and I thought, man, I, I think I would get bored with that in about two minutes, you know, if that's what heaven's like. Uh, we talk about places we love to go and, and places that seem magical, and we refer to them as heaven on earth. You know, we, we, uh, we eat our favorite food or our favorite dessert, and someone asks, how, how is it? Oh, it's heavenly, you know? Someone comes in your time of need just at the right moment, and you're like, oh, you're heaven sent. You know, we refer to heaven in really, really casual ways. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what do we think about heaven? Well, let me start by saying we will not have time to cover everything we want to cover. All the questions we have, we're not going to have time to get to them this morning. We're not even going to scratch the surface. So instead, we're going to look at two overarching things that will hopefully give us a strong foundation underneath all the things we want to know about heaven. And that's this. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the place of heaven. What will it be like? What will existence there look like? What will life be like in heaven? And secondly, who will be there? Who can we expect to see there? And in the end, the main overarching point that informs everything that we're going to see today, regardless of our opinions, our expectations, our wishes, the thing that will make heaven what it will be is that it is and will be the dwelling place of God. And in Christ, we will go to live and dwell there too. So as I prepared the last couple of weeks, I, I read through a lot of resources and I tried to discern you know, just through different books and what to say and what not to say. And in my research, I came across a really small book by J.C. Ryle. It was, it was a, a, a compilation of, of sermon summaries and, uh, and it proved to be absolute gold. And here's one of the things he wrote that I found extremely helpful about heaven. He said... Heaven is, in a word, home. The home of Christ and Christians. 
This is a sweet and touching expression. Home, as we all know, is the place where we are generally loved for our own sakes, not for our gifts or our possessions, the place where we're loved to the end, never forgotten, always welcome. This is one idea of heaven. Believers are in a strange land and at school in this life. In the life to come, they will be at home. What a sweet quote that so adequately sets the tone for what we want to talk about today. Heaven's a lot of things to a lot of people, but as followers of Jesus, do we have an accurate picture in our hearts and our minds when we think about heaven? Do we have a healthy and biblical expectation when it comes to what we think about heaven? Well, let's look at what the Bible says definitively about the Christian's future in heaven. So turn with me to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, almost to the very end of the very last book. And we're going to read Revelation 21, 1 to 7 together. Revelation 21, 1-7 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. That sounds familiar. It is done, finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the springs of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my people. He will be my son. And thanks be to God for his word. What an amazing passage. It's almost like a really rich several layer cake, multiple layer cake, where the sweetness seems to delight you as you taste it, only for you to realize that you've only tasted one of the many, many layers that's there. And while we're not going to cover everything, we can't cover everything in our time this morning. We're not even going to get to all the questions that I even had about this passage. We're going to see from this passage that God is absolutely and completely awe-inspiring. He is awesome in the most literal way. What, we, what he has for us in the future is beyond anything we could ever dream or think up. So let's take that first main point and let's consider the place called heaven, examining what it is and what it will be like. And as we do that, just know that I'm going to cover a lot of scriptural real estate, okay? So we'll put on all the references on the WhatsApp later on because we're going to cover a whole lot of verses. Uh, you might even just want to take note of the, of the reference itself instead of trying to write it all down. So uh, here we go. Uh, the place. Let's, our first thing to ponder is, is that heaven is actually a real physical place where one day we will live and, and be active. We, we'll have real lives in a, in a physical reality with physical bodies. And unfortunately today, many, even some within Christianity, see heaven as just a state of mind, a non-physical, non-corporeal, non-physical uh, non place, state of being. But that's not what we see in the scripture. 
because it's a real place, I want to point out five realities that this means for us. One, it is actually a physical place. Here are a few places in God's Word that point to this. We just read from Revelation 21 where we see geographic descriptions. It talks about earth and the sea and the city. The passage describes the city later in chapter 21 with really detailed specifics. It goes on to describe the dimensions, length and width and height and depth. And it's, it's going to be like 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles tall and long and, de- and deep. And, and not only does it describe the dimensions, but the passage details the materials and the gems that are going to compose the city. It goes on to talk about walls that will be around this city. And if you read through the rest of the chapter 21, you see that there's a river that flows through the middle of the city from the throne of God. That there's a tree of life there, a new tree of life, just like we saw in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, that produces 12 kinds of fruit. All these things are physical things and physical descriptions. And and second, let's consider Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1. Think about this. Jesus ascends to a place, not a state of mind, not a state of, 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 of being in his mind. This is what Acts 1, 9 says. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've been, you have seen him going into heaven. Jesus ascended to an actual place. Let's, let's, let's keep on with this, this thought. Let's think about something many of us read in our Bible reading plans this week. I think it was in both reading plans. Uh, Stephen's death in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 56. Verse 55 says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen saw a literal physical place. He saw a literal physical son standing by the throne of God in his resurrected physical body, standing at the right hand of the Father. As Wayne Gruden points out in his systematic theology book, Stephen doesn't see symbols of a state of existence. Stephen's eyes were open to see a dimension of a reality where God exists, where Christ physically lives and waits for his return. We could go on and on, but let's just look at one more before we move on. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them in John's gospel. John 14, verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If, if, if it were not so, I, wouldn't have, I would have told you that I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where, where I am, you may be also. Jesus talked about an actual place, saying where I am, you will be also. And when we're talking about the heaven that the Bible describes, we're not referring to an ethereal, non-physical kind of existence. We're talking about a physical, literal place where we will physically, literally live, which leads us to the second thing, that we will have physical bodies. As we consider this place, we need to remember that not only is it a physical place, but we who live there will also have physical bodies. We know this to be true because of several passages. First, 1 John 3, 2, referring to the resurrected Christ, says this, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we know... That when he, when Jesus appears, we will be like him. 
because we will see him as he is. We will be like him. This verse literally says we will be like him. Since that's true, consider what that means. After the resurrection, after, after Jesus' resurrection from the grave, he ate and drank with the disciples. He, he walked on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. On the morning of the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples at the tomb. And Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 9, tells us that the disciples, they, they, they clung to him. They took hold of his feet. They clung to him as they worshiped him. Later, we see that Jesus offers for Thomas to, Thomas, here I am. Come, touch my side. Come, touch, touch my, the nail marks in my hands. In John 21, Peter, one of Peter's lowest days, and we have a lot of those in, in the Gospels. Uh, thank you, God, for the example that we see there. Peter and six of the other disciples decided to go fishing back on the Sea of Galilee. Go back to the old way, you know. What else are we going to do? Let's go fishing. And Jesus appears to them, and, and it says literally there in the passage, standing on the shore. He's standing there. And, and when the disciples reach the, the shore, Peter jumps in and swims. The others follow in the boat. Uh, when they reach the shore, they find that Jesus, in his resurrected body, had cooked over a charcoal fire fish and bread. He's there on the beach waiting for them. Again, thinking about Stephen's death. Stephen looked into heaven and saw Jesus' physical body. Before we move on, here's, here's one thing to consider. At the beginning, at creation, when God creates everything in its perfect state, before Genesis 3 happens and the fall of man and sin, sin enters into the world, in the beginning, chapters 1 and 2, God created mankind with physical bodies. And he called it what? Very good. It wasn't a fallback plan. It wasn't plan B. In the beginning, in perfection, we had physical bodies. It was how God created humanity in a perfect garden. If we will, if we will exist in a physical place that has streets and rivers and a tree and a life that a tree, a tree of life that yields 12 kinds of fruit, a place that has a city and, and a banquet that we just sang about, then we will need to have physical bodies to live in a place like that. We just saw 1 John 3, 2 tell us that we will literally see with our eyes, see him when he returns. Heaven is a physical place where we will have physical bodies. Not only that, but we will live active lives in this physical reality of heaven. We will not be passively lying on a cloud. No, we will live active lives, and that's our third point. Well, firstly, considering this, we, you, you need to know that we will work. And you're like, Work? What? I thought it was heaven. <laughs> That's not heaven. You're confused with next week's topic, right? <laughs> so, uh, no, no. We will work, and our work will be a good thing, a satisfying thing, a redeemed thing. The difference there is there, there'll be no toil in our work. Think about your job. I mean, think about what you said in the beginning about how tired you are from your work. There's no toil in our labor in heaven but only satisfaction, and it's as, as perfect worship to, to God as we work. Think back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. Adam was put in the garden to work it. That's what Genesis 2.15 tells us. Work was and is a good thing, and we will have the joy of using our redeemed minds, not my mind that I forget everything and can't do numbers right and misspell all the words. No, a redeemed mind to work with. 
an, an effort that is, I'm not constantly prone to being lazy or putting things off and procrastinating or avoiding, but wholeheartedly pursuing God-honoring work. In writing about heaven, Randy Alcorn points out two verses that I found really helpful with this. First, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, after healing the paralytic, Jesus responds to the persecution that follows with healing on the Sabbath by the Pharisees. In John five seventeen, he says, Jesus responded to them, My Father is still working, and I am working also. Even God in his perfection works. What about Revelation 22, verse 3, speaking of heaven, it says, And there will no longer be any curse. So there's no curse. Praise the Lord. What does that mean next? The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. The servants will worship him. That word worship refers to an act of worship through service or through work or effort. Literally in the Greek, it's pointing to an act of work as worship. In heaven, even work will be redeemed. No curse. Let's consider two more things before we consider the who is there. And this, the first is this question. Will we know loved ones in heaven? This is back and forth within, amongst people, right? We speculate a lot about this. What does that mean? Will we know people? How will we know them? And to be completely honest, there is no verse or passage that explicitly says we will or we won't know people. However, I believe we can safely infer the answer from an abundance of evidence. And here's what I mean. Think back to the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. Uh, King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and she became pregnant. And if you know the story, you know that sadly, that baby dies just a few days after it's born. And here's what we see in the aftermath of that tragedy. We see this, this, these verses, this passage, that David expects to see the newborn son again in heaven. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22, said, David answered, While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he'll never return to me. David expects to see his newborn son who passes away in heaven again. And that gives so much hope on so many levels. I mean, that could just be a whole sermon right there. Next, we see Paul write to the Thessalonian church and expecting that he's going to see them and, and even know them in heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. If we don't know each other in heaven, how would Paul know these believers to boast in their salvation, that, that God used his work and his ministry to see them come to faith. How would he boast in their salvation before Jesus in the presence of Christ? Later on in the same, the same letter, Paul writes we, in, in chapter 4, verse 13, we don't, know, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I love what J.C. Ryle says about this verse. He helps us by taking something that's really implicit and making an excellent case for this verse to describe believers knowing one another in heaven. He says this, and we have the quote on the screen. It says, There would be no point in these words of consolation if they did not imply the mutual recognition of saints. 
The hope with which he cheers weary Christians is the hope of meeting their beloved friends again. He does not merely say, sorrow not, for they are at rest. They are happy. They're free from pain and trouble now. They're better off than they would have been here. No, he goes a step further. He says, God shall bring them with Christ when he brings them back to the world. You are not parted forever. You will meet again. I believe based on the scripture that we will, we will know one another. And praise the Lord, having been perfected and free completely from the ability to sin, it'll be different. <laughs> praise the Lord, it'll be different. Our relationships won't be fractured. We won't be constantly trying to work through different issues. We will be perfected. Praise the Lord for that. But we will know each other. One final thing before we move on to the who. A day, one day in the future, God will make a new heaven and an earth the new heaven and the new earth. Look at our passage in Revelation 21 with me, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a a bride adorned for her husband. I love that. Those of you who have been married, remember that moment of seeing your spouse of the groom waiting. I remember waiting for those doors to open for me to see my bride. I, I, I remember seeing Claire at her wedding this last summer, not being able to see over the crowd, looking, trying to peer to see Neil. The anticipation of that, of that beautiful moment that's to come. What a moment. From this passage, it seems like that place we know as heaven as it currently stands right now is going to be getting an overhaul. <laughs> I mean, it, it, God is going to remake all things in a mind-blowing way. Think about it right now. Heaven and earth are very different places. They're, they're separate. They're, they're well far apart. None of those space agencies that billionaires are paying to fly them into space, none of the, the governmental space agencies are able to develop the technology to get us from here to heaven. It, they're, they're totally different. They're, they're separate. But according to our passage in that day, God is going to work in such a way that heaven and earth are going to come together, that there be no separation. Heaven and earth are going to meet. And that's, that's wild to think about. If that's the case, that Almighty God is going to recreate and combine heaven and earth to be a place where we dwell with Him in a place where He dwells, then why in the world would we live as if this place is our home? And we do. We struggle with that. We live as if this is the main thing in our lives, that this life, this 70, 80, God willing, years, is it the main thing. But what we have to look forward to is so much better and so much richer. Why in the world will we be tempted to buy into the lie that this life here and now is the main part of the story? The temporary world we live in here is not our home. It's just not. So in thinking about what the place of heaven will be like, here's what I'd like to end and kind of transition to the second and main part of our our time today. What we can absolutely be sure of is that God's best for us is far better than the best thing we can conceive or any expectations that we could have or any wishes and dreams we might have of heaven. What he has for us is so much better and richer and fuller. Don't fret your loved ones. Don't 
don't worry whether you will be satisfied or not. You will be. Don't worry about anything else about the expectations you have of how time will be spent or those things. It will be better than you think it will. It might be that you're like me as a teenager. As, oh, man, as, um, secretly as a teenager, I wondered, oh, is heaven going to be boring? <laughs> uh, would heaven just be one long worship service that I had to sit through as a teenager of how many sermons are we going to talk, are we going to have to sit through? How many songs are we going to sing? You know, my spiritual maturity is revealed there as a teenager, and maybe you can relate to that. But, but maybe the thought of not getting to do whatever you want and get whatever you want, whenever you want, sounds like it isn't, heaven isn't going to be amazing. But God has conceived of something that we could never in a billion years trillion years, billions of billions of years, we could never think of this. It will absolutely demolish all expectations and deep wishes. The reason that's the case is because of what we're going to focus on next in the last few minutes, and that's the who. Who will be there? Who will be in heaven? Well, we know from the scriptures that heaven is a place that's being prepared for and is reserved for followers of Jesus. We, we see this in Revelation 21, but let's look at a few other places first before we come to Revelation 21. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has, has not been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. In verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Eye is not seen, ears not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man what, uh, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Prepared for who? Those who love God. A moment ago, we read John 14 where Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for his disciples. Listen to what J.C. Ryle, my, my, I promised my last quote from J.C. Ryle. It was a really good book. I highly commend it to you. Uh, what he writes about this verse in John 14. He says, one cheering word is this. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. A place which we shall find Christ himself has made ready for true Christians. He's prepared it by pouring a right for every sinner who believes to enter in. None can stop us and say we have no business there. He's prepared it by going before us as our head and representative and taking possession of it for all the members of his mystical body. As our forerunner, he has marched in, leading captivity captive and has planted his banner in the land of glory. He has prepared it by carrying our names with him as our high priest into the Holy of Holies and making angels ready to receive us. Those who enter heaven will find they are neither unknown nor unexpected. Man, that's so good. <laughs> One other place you see this explicitly is at the end of Revelation in our passage 21, verse 27. It says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me tell you, every single one of us is unclean apart from Christ. Every single one of us is detestable apart from Christ because we all sin. We all rebel against God. But like you heard from Mark last week, if you heard his message, in Christ, through the work of Christ, when we put faith in Jesus, our names are written in a book and it's waiting to be real and will be read out one day. 
Mark preached this from Revelation 20 last week. He, he unpacked the reality of judgment and how terrifying or amazing that experience would be. And, and to be as clear as we can this morning, this is saying that this place, heaven, is reserved for those who are followers of Jesus. It's reserved for those who, in this life, turned away from their sin and towards God's way. All of us, all of us have chosen to go our own way. Every single one of us on the earth have gone our own way. And that act of going our own way is rebellion against God, against the king of all things. This place we've read about is reserved for those who have trusted that Jesus' death was the only payment for the overwhelming debt that my rebellion and, and your rebellion cost. For those who have trusted in Jesus' death and his victorious de uh, defeat over death and sin and the grave as he rose to life. And that's why this place will be a place of rejoicing and celebration and eternal joy. It'll be a place where we exalt Jesus, the lamb that was slain. So let me address those who, who have never trusted in Jesus. I just for a moment want to, want to speak to you. I want to speak, I want you to hear the truth that there is an offer for you to enter into this place. But it's not as much about the place as it is the person who's waiting there to meet us. Apart from him, man, this life, we know this, this life is hopeless Apart from him, there's no way to have lasting peace or joy that remains through hardship and grief and suffering. Sitting next to a family member who's in their final days. Walking through the tragedy of, of families breaking apart. Losing a job. You, losing a loved one. But in him, there is joy and peace that goes beyond our understanding because we know that this life is just temporary. What lies ahead is eternal. So... We end with one overarching main point this morning. This final thought informs and makes possible all that we've talked about so far. The main point of heaven is God. It's not us. We want to make it about us, but it's God. You and I and our preferences and our desires are not the main thing. God is. Look back at our passage. Revelation 21 verse 3 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look. God's dwelling is with humanity. What? And he will live with them. God, almighty God, will live with us? They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Down in verse 22, it says, I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Every culture on the earth has their idea of heaven. In Western culture, the ideas mostly revolve around leisure and pleasure. But we should want heaven not because of what we expect or envision its amenities to be. We should want heaven because it will be the eternal dwelling place of God. And we will be with him. We will live with him in proximity to him as his people. Those who follow Jesus will get to experience the unparalleled, unparalleled gift of actually being near almighty God forever. This is important because lots of people want their version of paradise but as always, God offers a better way. He offers us eternity in a place that's better than our comprehension. And instead of physical pleasure or, or, or e eternal happiness in ourselves, 
in our favorite activities, I don't care how much you love your sport, <laughs> there's something better. Or being with loved ones even, there's something better. God offers us eternity with him. That's the gift. That's it. He's offering perfect belonging, perfect contentment in being with him. We will know the Trinity in a way we can't in this life. That's my, I've been wrestling with that this week. We will be continually learning and marveling at the grandeur of God. And we'll know the unity and distinctiveness of the Trinity like we can't hear. In other words, as much as you understand the truth of the gospel here, Christian, the truth of the gospel is going to be understood on a whole other level in heaven. We will understand in a deeper way the magnitude of the incarnation of Jesus, of his sacrifice, of his resurrection. Philippians 2 talks about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, humbling himself, pouring himself, becoming like a servant. We'll see the perfection around us and we'll understand. What do you mean? He didn't consider it as something to be grasped, held on to, but he emptied himself. He left this and he came to redeem us, leaving this. We'll understand that having been there and we'll marvel at it for centuries, billions of years. Mark says that, and I always laugh. I'm like, nope, that's just the beginning. <laughs> Eternity. We'll worship him freely as a result. We'll bask in the joy that we get to be with our Savior and our King forever. Heaven should be our motivation as we live in this life. It should be a reward that we are mindful of that comforts us in our day of trouble because it's going to be the place where we're with him, with God. The new dwelling place of God will be special because God will dwell there. This morning, if you have faith in Jesus, this is your future. Christian, this, you can be assured that this is our true home, not this temporary life we live in now. Are you living like heaven, the dwelling place of God, is your true home? Or are you looking forward to what the amenities are? Are you looking forward to being with God? Is that your motivation that gets you through the trials and tribulations? Remind your heart today. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. To those who are here who have never followed Jesus, I, I want to speak truthfully to you today. The truth is, is that there is a God in heaven who offers belonging, who offers this, being with him eternally, a free gift, who offers the opportunity of having the presence and peace of God go with us every single step of every day. The, the offer for you today is to trust Jesus and believe in him. If you have questions about that, we, we would love to talk to you about that after the service. Pray with you. Answer any questions. Today, as we close and respond, we do so in two ways. We, we want to sing and rejoice, and we want to partake in the table. And if you put faith in Jesus, if you've committed to follow Jesus with, with your whole life, with your whole heart, we invite you to come to the table and partake in that. If you haven't, we ask you to refrain from partaking in the table. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of the meal, he held up the cup. Disciples, all their eyes watching him. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And today we take these elements. We look forward to the meal that's to come that we already sang of with Christ in heaven. His body was broken, but it has been resurrected, and yours will be too. His, his blood was shed for it, but it made a way for our names to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Take this communion meal. 
with your, with your mind's eye on the feast to come before the risen and reigning Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the hope that is ahead. Hope not in all the, the amenities and good things that we can enjoy in heaven, but the hope that we will be with you eternally. Thank you for saving us from our sin. Thank you for redeeming us, not because we are deserving or worthy, but because of how good you are and loving you are. Help us today to live in response to this truth. May what we hope for be what we live for today. We, we pray that in Jesus' name and because of Jesus. Amen.